Good morning, good morning. My name is Andrea Simintov, and you're listening to Pull Up a Chair with Andrea on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Just leave the computer there all day. Just take that browser, click IsraelNewsRadio.com, and you are set, set to grow, set to expand, set to connect with the world. It doesn't get better than this. Anyway, um, yeah, so here we are again today. Um, celebrating, celebrating everything that's wonderful, trying to make everything holy, trying to connect to one another in really the most God-centered way. A little bit funny. So today, I sound very relaxed. My husband has been in England, England with his grandchildren, uh, taking a family, a little bit of a family trip. And um, I'm working on that envy thing, okay? Bicycle riding around the Thames, uh, that that big merry-go-round thing they do. I think they hit the um, the prisons, and I understand that two nights ago they saw the Lion King. And I'm not going to let those grandchildren get away anymore, saying that they don't understand English. They sang every word, they knew every word. Ah, all right. So also, as you may know, and I know that keeps you up at night wondering, how does is how did Israel News Talk Radio soar so much during COVID? And it was that during those days, we worked from home. And you know what? We never went back. So I've been conducting this show, not in the studio, but at home. And why is she sharing this? Because we like to keep it real here. So at any point, even though I've sent out warning WhatsApp voicemails and everything, a group of workers could descend on this house at any moment and disrupt the show. So we'll say, oh my gosh, this is like so real. It's like living with Andrea. It's so great. Okay, let's recover. Um, I'm thinking, I don't know what made me Google Google, that's be you know, that's now a verb. Google it. How many people are on the earth? And don't Google it and take a moment and see if you know. I don't know why I thought 80 billion, 90 billion. I'm wrong. It's eight, almost eight billion people as of this morning at uh six thirty AM Israel time. So I'm thinking there are eight billion people in the world. And how are we connected to one another? And I'd love to think, you know, I, I we always have this kind of the, the John Lennon song uh, playing in our heads, give peace a chance. We hear imagine, you know, the Beatles were the prophets, the prophets of the century. But you know what? It's narish. It's not true. Because if it were true that we could just home in on our inherent humanism, we wouldn't need precepts. We wouldn't need a blueprint called Torah to tell us how to conduct our lives. The fact is, we're not naturally wonderful to one another. We're naturally suspicious. In some cases, naturally cruel, naturally aggressive. And um, I think on one show I had told you, somebody showed me a t-shirt and It said something like, what if 8 billion people, something like, what what if 8 billion people together said, let's do it? Or what if 8 billion people didn't say, I can't? It was something like that, but that we have so much 
power. And why do we have so much power? Not because we're just another equal comparative species, because we're human beings. And it reminds me, um, I think it was last Shabbos, we're sitting at the table, Shabbos morning, drinking way too much whiskey, okay? We've let you in on that intimate fact of my life. I'm a Shabbos morning lush. And I, you know, I said to my husband, the reticent rabbi, and um, if I've mentioned that before, whenever I say, you know, why don't you take a pulpit? You could be such a good, he goes, I'm not the rabbi, I'm not the rabbi. I said, but I want to be the Rebbitzin. I would be such a good Rebbitzin. That's the word for the rabbi's wife. And he says, just because I'm not the rabbi doesn't mean that you're not the Rebbitzin. So Rebbitzin Andrea is speaking. And so the Rebbitzin says to him, what really was that thing about the dogs leaving Mitzrayim, leaving Egypt? What? So, so there was a miracle. You know, what's that big deal? They didn't bark. Okay, God made a miracle. And that's the thing about being Jewish. We expect miracles. I expect miracles. When I pray in the morning and I hand over my laundry list of wants, needs, holy moral desires to God, and I say, here, take this in onto your plate. Here goes into the inbox. I'm not thinking if you get around to it. I'm thinking, please, I know I'm not worthy. Toss me a miracle. Why do Jews expect miracles? Because we're not even supposed to be here. We're only here by divine divine will. The laws of statistics tell us in every arena we should have evaporated. And also what our enemies don't do to us in that hope of eradicating us. Thank you. Not so secret, dirty laundry. We do it to ourselves, but I'm digressing. Okay. What was that thing about dogs? The thing that makes it so great? They went against nature. I have a dog. Many of us listening in today have dogs. If you have a dog, a nutso dog like I do, my dog is technically, she's a sheep dog. She's a herder dog. She barks, she stares, she, she can't. She's looking, for, she's looking for a flock of goats to organize, but she's not going to find them in my house. And instead she barks, barks, barks. And I scream, Bailey, stop barking. Shh, quiet. Oh, to your room. Bop, bop, bop. It's almost an act of cruelty. She can't not bark because she's a dog. And yet the miracle was that the dogs of Mitzrayim, the dogs in Egypt, went against nature. Four-legged canines fought their intrinsic way of being to create holiness. So what's our excuse? That whole idea of, I'm just a gossip. It's just the kind of person I am. Can't control myself. My mother was a gossip. My mother was a gossip. No. I'm just a jealous person. I just, I have that way, you know, we're very envious. I always feel sorry for myself. I have anger. I'm a glutton. I have an addictive personality. We learn, we learn, we learn. We soar, we grow younger, we grow more beautiful, 
and we glow when we go against our negative natures in the pursuit of holiness. I don't know about you, but I certainly have my work cut out for me. <laughs> um, <clears throat> last week, I met with friends, friends, a friend, a dear friend from my, oh, wait a second, let's quickly have, quickly, before I tell you about my meeting with my delicious friend, we're listening in, is the U.S. is with us late at night. Oh, it's already tomorrow morning for you guys in on the East Coast. Boketov Eretz Israel. It's going to be a beautiful day, a wonderful day. Canada is with us. Japan is with us this morning. Spain has joined us. Very nice. And Germany is with us. I have a little bit of something. I may get to a little Germany. And then there's a note that says the coronation is with us. I think that's a heat. A hint that it's England. When is this coronation already? Have you been like drowning in coronation news? I certainly have. Um, Okay, so very quickly, I met with friends. And what was fascinating was this was a friend from my childhood. Haven't seen her in 50 years, 50 years. And I loved, she just made this wonderful marriage and it was so nice to see the wholesomeness and this very together couple. Um, And I was thinking, I met with another friend and another friend. I met with about three friends last week. And I want to just share with you one thing, however, that I did learn and it's making me more sensitive about myself. When we don't understand something and it's kind of out of our comfort zone, it's very funny when it's not about Jews, we find it fascinating. Um, if I were invited into a home in Japan, we have people from Japan listening in this morning. And I don't know if it's a an old fashioned thing. I don't know if today people do wear shoes in the house. But I, I seem to remember learning that many Japanese do not wear shoes in the house. They leave them outside. They put on home slippers. And in Israel and America, typically we wear shoes in our house. If I were meeting with a Japanese person, um, and they said, no, 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 we don't wear shoes in our house. You sure as heck know. I wouldn't roll my eyes and say, let them think that that's kooky. And somehow when we talk about Jewish customs, I know people who find it fascinating that I live a, Jew, uh, a relatively observant Jewish life. And when they'll say, well, do you eat this or do you eat that? And I say, no, we don't eat that. Or um, I dress in this certain manner when I go to a neighborhood. I never find non-Jews rolling their eyes when I say this, but I always find it with Jews who haven't learned, who don't know, um, they haven't become observant yet. They always like roll their eyes at Jewish customs. And I'm thinking maybe we should like not do that to one another, be a little more sensitive. When we come back today, I'm going to talk about a few beautiful emotional incidents that happened this week. Uh, We might talk about... uh, Let's see, something that did make me laugh, and we're going to talk about smuggling smuggling goods into Israel that you cannot find on the grocery sheets, uh, on the grocery shelves. And anybody who has a hint of what I'm talking to, I'm sure you're already laughing. My name is Andrea Simonjov, and guess what? I'll see you on the other side. Israel News Talk Radio, straight talk from Israel. One minute of Torah. 
Judaism treasures even a lifeless body, and we are required to give every Jew a proper, respectable Jewish burial. If nobody else is available, the high priest himself must leave his post, even in the middle of the sacred Yom Kippur service, and tend to the corpse. This is one of the laws of priesthood mentioned in our Torah portion this week, Emor. Now, as much as we value the body of our fellow Jew, his soul is even more precious. Tragically, there are so many Jews today whose souls are struggling to breathe. Ignored, whether intentionally or not, these souls are not receiving the spiritual nourishment they need in order to shine as they can. It is our duty to go help them. Nobody can claim to be too important or too busy to care for another soul. Is who we are and what we're doing greater than the high priest during his Yom Kippur service? We must stop even lofty spiritual work in order to bring the beauty, depth, light, and nourishment of Torah and mitzvot to a Jew whose spirituality is not as alive as it can be. And because we are all connected, reviving your fellow will bring more life to you too. With your Ein Chairman of Torah, this is Chavai Zekevich. Simintov, you are listening to IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com and pull up a chair. Let's see now. Okay, we got to this. We got to this. We got to this. Hear this? Such preparation. Preparation. Okay. I know you all thought that Ronnie was in England for the coronation, but he had to send his um, regrets. Okay? Charles wanted him. He wanted him. He didn't want him to help him dress. That's what's for sure. Okay, not the fashion plate. But anyway, no, Ronnie couldn't stay for the coronation because he has to come home and help me make Shabbos. All right. Um, This week, just taking a moment, the thing that kind of makes your own heart stop in your throat and think, there are all these moments out there, and you think, dear God in heaven, we do live among the holy, we have to open our eyes and see, and see. We all remember the story, oh my gosh, we say last month, the time flies. The Pesach, the Passover, brutality that took the lives, didn't take the lives, butchered, snuffed out the lives of the holy D women. Last week, I'm not going to review. You can look it up. Do your verb Googling. Last week, as though our hearts weren't broken enough, as though the regalness, the dignity, the holiness of this family isn't enough. Last week, we were humbled to see the family, the remaining members of the family visited the recipients of Lucy D's organs. Five of her organs saved, both saved and improved the lives. It could have been a campaign of rage afterwards, and who would have blamed this family? Instead, they spread, celebrate, such a glorious message of love 
and achtut, brotherhood, and indeed the clarion call of trying to be better. And this week, as they visited the hospitals, one particular video literally brought me to my knees, holding a stethoscope against the recipient of their mother's heart. The daughters of Lucy T listened to her vibrant heart beating in the chest of another holy and grateful woman. Who makes these people? Who are we? And what as a people are we being asked to withstand? Aspire, aspiring to greatness. Le have a deal to separate. On the other hand, I would be remiss if I didn't mention, you know, um, the, the, the producers and the engineers of this show. I always say, I don't do politics. I don't do politics. I hate doing politics. You have others on this station who do it so beautifully, so gloriously, so cogently, you know? And, um, and yet, how can we not mention this week's um, death, not unwelcome death, of the hunger-striking uh, jihad member in an Israeli prison. How was he hailed? By the Palestinian ambassador to the United Nations? United Nations. It's called United Nations. United for everyone except Israel, but I digress. Riyad Mansour accused Israeli authorities of failing to provide, this is, okay, here's our requirement, failing to provide proper medical care to Kader Adnan a day after he was found dead in his cell on an 86-day hunger strike. Now, here's the surprise to everybody, except those of us who live in Israel. The death was set off, with the death set off around a fighting between Israel and terrorist groups in Gaza, in the Gaza Strip. So, I'm sorry. It's not funny. That's our children online in uniform. These are our holy people living, maintaining the land, living in Sederot and other towns. Traumatized. Injured. It's not cartoon. And yet... My friend Tal writes on her wall, and she knows she's a living, surviving victim of the most brutal Arab terrorist attack that one could imagine, left for dead on the side of a forest path. And what does Tal say? She says, I think we should all troll pro-Palestinian sites and taunt um, other cold-blooded blooded uh, terrorist murderists to follow, follow the example of Kader Adan. Go on a hunger strike and ultimately die. Because for us, it's win-win. For them, it's win-win. They die, they like that. We don't have to fret and argue among one another about prisoner exchanges. I'm sure everybody 
in here, knowing here, uh, listening in, everybody who's a friend of Israel knows that we do not have the death penalty, despite Knesset discussions. We reduce the risk to our soldiers, not our soldiers, our children, our boys, in reducing future combat. We don't have to waste time debating capital punishment in the Knesset. No more pay for slay. That's a big moneymaker over in Aza. And guess what? They get to be heroes. So um, anybody who wants to follow in the footsteps, do it. I applaud, applaud. I'm very surprised that they allowed him to fulfill his desire and they allowed him to starve to death. I promise you. I don't know. I don't have an in. Nobody wrote me a note. I promise you. He never thought it would happen. His family never thought it would happen. The Palestinian Authority never thought it would happen because do-gooder Jews, it's very unusual that we would allow that to happen. We injure our own before we risk bad PR. Kolakavod, congratulations, Israel prison system. Okay, uh, one second here. Let me just, oh, good, good. I'm just checking my, uh, checking my, uh, uh, what is it? Did you lose the English checking my, the sound, the audio. Very professional here. Um, oh, one other thing. Anything I forgot to toss out the address. Any questions, any comments, any concerns, anything you'd like me to cover? Um, I probably won't listen, but I'll read it. So uh, write to me, Andrea at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Happy, happy, always happy to know what you're thinking about. This is the you cannot make this up department. And I must admit, I have to preface this. I myself have been guilty, not too often, of asking a friend coming in from the States. Ooh, could you please, could you bring me a package of Thomas's English muffins? I'm telling you, they make a killing here. Thomas's English muffins. You cut them with a fork. Very nice. It holds the butter. Mm, 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 mm. Um... Bakos, you know, imitation bako bits. I know they're not healthy. Don't write me about that. Take a little bit of a pinch, put on your chef's salad. Heaven. Uh, what other things have I asked? Recently, I asked somebody to bring me for a friend, a friend for a friend for a friend, somebody who had done me a favor, some Dunkin' Donuts coffee beans, unground. So, you know, we, we do those things occasionally. My late friend, Elise, once said to me, she used to ask us to bring in pimentos. You can get everything in Israel now. But at the time, we would bring her pimentos for a special salad she made. And I remember she said to me once, I finally learned, if you can't find it here, you don't need it. Anyway, apparently, Israel Customs Authorities arrested or detained two American couples caught, I kid you not, they smuggled in more, I don't know, like, what they thought they were going to get away with, 650 pounds, 295 kilograms of fruit roll-ups. You know that the imitation uh, fruit leather that we used to eat as kids, as the country experiences a dire shortage of a snack that came through a TikTok craze. Apparently, you wrap ice cream in the fruit roll-ups, you put them in the freezer, and then you bite into it, and it's like eating a candied apple. And it's a big craze, and people are having withdrawal symptoms. So um, an American, they didn't identify these people. They probably live in 
I don't know. I'm, is this a slur? Maybe they live in Ramat Beit Shemesh. But anyway, they said in a mix of Hebrew and English, they explained that they brought them in across the ocean. And when they asked them if the man packs his clothes, because we're always asked, did you pack your own clothes? Um, he said he has clothes in Israel. So why did he do this? Uh, it was something to do with ice cream. And um, let's see, before we go off, it says, and the Israeli authorities are begging people what are you talking? People bringing in TikToks. Please give some thought. Glucose, corn sugar, sh- syrup, dry corn sugar, all sugar. This is not a healthy trend. All right. So some people have said it is better than diamonds. And somebody said, a woman came in and she said, I was going to find out how many I could get in exchange for my kidney. That's not funny. But anyway, that's the kind of thing that's going on at our borders. My name's Andrea Simonchev. Guess what? See you on the other side. Warning. Take cover. The Jewish Truth Bomb is here. The show that will explode all the false narratives and fake news. Join host Lenny Goldberg each week as he wires the news together and detonates it through biblical verses that will deliver a shockwave that will blow you away. Don't miss it. The Jewish Truth Bomb. Every Monday. Traveling away from home can be challenging. Travelers in hotels often have questions, and hotel staff may be busy helping other guests. An Israeli firm is working on creating a guest journey platform, and they're integrating their solution with GPT-4 to leverage the capabilities of artificial intelligence to provide better service for hotel guests. The technology is called EasyWay Genie, and it's intended to provide an artificial intelligence assistant designed to help hotel receptionists communicate with guests and enhance the guest experience. By analyzing guest messages, in conversation history in real time, EasyWay Genie offers personalized response suggestions that hotel receptionists can review and send with just the click of a button, providing you with quick responses and the information you need. For more information on the high-tech world today, visit IsraelTechTalk.com. With your INTR Tech Minute, I'm Bob Aiello. And we're back. We are so back. Andrea Simento pull up a chair on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. All right. I do. I want. I have like a. Um, okay. No, we're going to save the Mazel Tovs. We'll save it for another show. Listen, this is our Devar Torah, and we do get kind of serious at this point. But there was one story that I just, I keep putting it off week to week because it's so stupid. And I thought to myself. Oh, come on, Andrea. This is like serious. We're talking about life and death matters in Israel. But I have to, I must share this with you because if something makes me yuck out loud, I think that maybe it'll make you yuck out loud. Um, I'm a big Scrabble fan. I play a lot of Scrabble. As a matter of fact, I didn't even mention this. Please, God, I'll be going to South Africa. I'll be visiting South Africa. With God's help, I'll be arriving late on Wednesday night this week, this coming week, and I will come back the following week. And my first job there, I'm going to be visiting my daughter 
And uh, my first job is, well, not that night, but the next day is to pick up a Scrabble set. So we have our week set. But I know people that are crazy for Monopoly. I used to play Monopoly as a kid. My sister, she, she doesn't listen to the show, so I can share that. She was such a cheat. Okay, she was a cheat and she hid the money. It was very bad. All right, but we've made up. Okay, both of us are <laughs> one year younger than God. It was time to bury the Monopoly hatchet. But anyway, apparently in Brussels, the story comes out of Brussels, two men, adult men, I, I, I add, were hospitalized after a game of Monopoly ended in a sword fight. Things became quickly heated between the players and the father-son doer. I think it was like two couples. And um, they were fighting five in the morning, 5 a.m. I guess it was one of those marathon games. Who was it? There was somebody who said to me that her mother said, nothing good ever happens between 10 at night and 10 in the morning. So I don't know if that's true, but I think in this case it was accurate. And the participants were fighting. People were calling the police that they were fighting and uh, waking up. And what happened was the players, suddenly the father, the son brought out a sword for defense. He defended himself in the game. It became a sword fight, knocking down. All the participants were hospitalized. So those of you who think that rugby is dif difficult and dangerous, those of you who think that American football is dangerous, anybody who has heard about a broken nose during a, um, what is it, volleyball game, just be careful when you haul out that Monopoly set because literally both fists and knives might fly. I just had to share that story. Okay. I think we're set. Oh, we're getting ready for Shabbos. Okay. Now let's get holy together. I frequently talk about what we can do. What can we do? Eight billion people. What power do I have? And I'm thinking about that in every society, I must like toss this out. You know, I scan the papers. I, I read, not, not deeply, deeply, but I read at least the headlines in the first few pages and the current events of about five papers each day, very quickly, superficially. And um, there's this, um, I, now I can't even remember it, you know, but there's this famous, the Metropolitan Ball, I think. Every year there's this big ball in New York and there's always a theme. And this year it was about the theme, Carl Lagerfeld. And I couldn't get off this. I'm looking for deep news. And all I'm thinking is what the Kardashians are wearing, what Anne Hathaway is wearing, and what rock stars. And if you get invited to it and you don't get invited. And, this, and I'm thinking, these are our elites. This is what's taking over the front, what, what they say, what they do, what they believe in, what they aspire for. What are we doing to our children? What do we hope for our children? And it brings me, not accidentally, but Dafka deliberately, to the spot-on accuracy of this coming week's Torah portion, which is the Parsha of Emor. And Emor talks about the responsibilities and the separateness of the holy kohanim, the priests. And it says how Rabbi Wine brings in that every society, every society bar none, 
creates an elite. And the elite has great influence and serves, or ideally is supposed to serve, on um, on the sensitivities and the goals and aspirations of the nation and society, in fact. And every society, even communes, even kibbutzim, the agricultural settlements that peppered the land at the beginning of the state and still exist today, where everyone is purported to be equal. Not so much. Eventually, an elite class is produced even in those societies, despite how much they try to deny it. You know, the U.S. It's the, it's the declaration. Not the, the U.S. Um, the Bill of Rights says that all men are created equal, but the fact is, not all men are really equal. Just look around ourselves. Look around our social surroundings. Who among us is not aware of this? The great pilug, the chasm between the haves and the have-nots. In this week's portion, we see that our holy blueprint, that Torah, creates for us an elite among Jewish society. Indeed, the priestly family of Aharon, Aaron, from which all of the Kohanim, the priests in the Jewish world, are descended. descended. Anybody, even those among us, who are not yet observant, but know that they're descended from Kohanim, have a special role. The Torah details the special laws that govern this family, and indeed it's a bloodline. It becomes very obvious to those who study the Parsha, the portion that the Torah places great demands and indeed great restrictions on the leadership elite. It's not always a bed of roses. Privilege, rank, honor also brings deeper responsibility. So it goes on, Rabbi Wine goes on and says, there's no elite that's truly beneficial to the society that lives among us if that responsibility is not handled morally and with fine, refined behaviors. In discussing the definition of what is a chilul Hashem, something that I refer to quite often as a desecration of God's values and God's name, the Torah arrives at a scale of behavior. Indeed, my friends, it's not one size fits all. A great scholar and leader of the elite is guilty of Torah violation if he doesn't pay his bills. If he crosses against the red. If he, oh, we could just go on and on and on. If he's abusive to his fellow man doesn't bring in his garbage cans, the so-called ordinary person, we're not held to such a rigorous standard. Although everybody is charged not to be involved in negative activities, which can be indeed a desecration of God's name. But still, it's just a little more poignant when we expect more from those who are supposed to set the example. We see this. Now, the other side of the coin is that the people of Israel were commanded to give extra honor and deference to the Kohanim, being a Kohen, being a priest. And I'm talking about today, too. One wears a special godly crown. 
you know, there are no perfect human beings. So it's easy, easy for us to point out the faults and the weaknesses of others, especially with those who we deem blessed, privileged. People would be very quick to denigrate the, the Kohain, the, the priest, who they felt to be imperfect. You know, but still, it's built in. I remember my late mother-in-law. I, I loved her. Rachel Baschayim. She was so proud that she was a Bas Kohen, the daughter of a Kohen. It reflected in her dignity. You know, inside every Kohen is built Jewish custom and rituals. We're supposed to seek the blessings of a Kohen. So anybody who's listening here and says, you know, I think I'm a Kohen. Look into it. Reach out. Learn more. Understand that you are both blessed and a blesser. The Kohen is charged with the task of living up to his role of giving honor and a place in Jewish public life. You know, we don't have our temple. I know that that's not a surprise. But the status of a Kohen in Jewish life and society has still been preserved throughout our long history. And that's the reward of the father of the Kohanim, the great Aharon. Just because we don't have the temple, just because the edges have been blurred over the course of time does not mean that being a Jew today is not as accurate and ironclad and defined as it was in the days of Matan Torah, the giving of the Torah. Talking about the Torah, so, okay, let me see where I am in my notes. Yeah, so after detailing, this, you know, this Parsha, this, can I just take a sip of my coffee? Of course, Andrea. Mm. Okay. Thank you. Um, we know so many aspects of, not so many aspects, every aspect of human life is uh, covered. So where did the Torah? So anyway, um, after all of these mitzvahs, there's a certain conclusion and it says, and I quote, Torah, translated into English, and you shall not profane my holy name, but I will be sanctified among the children of Israel. It's a commandment. This commandment raises a very important question. How is it possible for we, mere mortals, to profane the holiness of God? Isn't God the supreme source of sanctity? It's strange that man who himself is so far removed from holiness should be commanded to sanctify the divine name. So we talk about this a lot on this show, that each one of us is a container, indeed a human clee, a container for a breath of God, a peace. It's called our neshama our soul. and so, But to answer this question, we have to distinguish between the essential holiness of God, which transcends time and place, and the holiness of his name, meaning the spreading of human acknowledgement, acknowledgement and recognition of God 
and his holiness. So, well, I mean, how could, I mean, how should human beings sanctify the name of God? So first of all, let's keep it positive. The positive mitzvah is to sanctify the name of God. The negative commandment is to not profane his holy name. Okay, sugar and salt, black and white, hot and cold. But similarly, when we consider the holiness of the Shabbat, we consider Shabbat to be a holy day, whether or not it is observed. It is. The Sabbath is. Aha. But by observing it, human beings can feel the holiness and indeed enhance the holiness. So how does man sanctify the name of God? And the answer is so simply, so excessively, how we live our lives. The study of Torah and committing ourselves, adhering to the laws, we have this opportunity every day, every minute, in and out, to set an example to the world and become the embodiment of a Kiddush Hashem, a sanctification of his name. Our man's actions and indeed our appearance in our everyday life can just do this. Conversely, I must toss this in, to be pious in appearance, to study Torah, to know the laws, and to adhere scrupulously to the minutiae in business dealings and or everyday life, to not do it, to cut corners, to smuggle in goods and say I have nothing to declare, it's a chilul Hashem, a desecration of his name. An extreme example of holiness, sanctifying his name. And I hope nobody's just tuning in now and saying, I heard her say, no, 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 no. This is, we're all grown-ups here. An extreme example would be martyrdom. The only three circumstances that require death over life. Okay? Very uncomfortable in Jewish discussion, but must be mentioned, is murder, idolatry, immorality. Why in, in, in a religion that validates life to such a degree would this even exist? Would we, would we be required to accept death in these circumstances? In fact, we're not only permitted, we are required to break the Sabbath. The term is Mechal Shabbat, to break the Sabbath in order to preserve life, in order to continue observing the sanctity of Shabbat for the rest of our lives. There's no letting the world burn down around you, hearing your neighbor screaming for help before you pick up the phone and call the authorities, even on the Holy Sabbath. No, God said I can't use the phone on Shabbos. Sechel, wisdom. We're partners in the world of holiness. You know, but where there's no basic repudiation of God, we should waive the observance of a mitzvah in order to survive, in order to continue serving. But we're required to give up life when we're asked to violate these three 
prohibitions that are a repudiation of God's greatness. What makes murder, idolatry, immorality? (laughs) Today, who even can see what immorality is? We're blinded to it. What makes them the three cardinal sins? The 613, this I learned from Rabbi Blech, Rabbi Benjamin Blech, making live and be well and celebrate good health. The 613 mitzvot are all contained in the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments can further be reduced to two concepts. The relationship between man and man and the relationship between man and God. Murder. Murder is the ultimate repudiation, spitting in the face of the relationship between man to man. Idolatry. And be broad in our thinking. We're not talking about little boy Avraham smashing, you know, stone and wooden uh, wooden statues. Idolatry spreads. It's insidious. It's in all our homes. The ultimate repudiation of the relationship between man and God. And immorality, the ultimate repudiation of that combination of man to man and man to God. Say what, Andrea, why? Because every personal, every intimate human relationship contains an aspect of holiness involved to go along with that human aspect. And by violating these three cardinal prohibitions, again, we're turning our back on the essence of these ideals. A thought. I know that at my Shabbos table this week, we're going to be talking about this, and I invite you to talk about it and let me know what you think. And I quote, The Torah says, and you shall heed my mitzvot and you shall do them. I am the Lord. So the Torah Tamima explains, and you shall heed them, refers to learning, Torah learning. And you shall do them, refers to the performance of mitzvot, of the commandments. What are we learning here? It teaches us that all of us who are not learning are not doing. So perhaps this Shabbos, again, just tossing it out there, boys and girls, we should raise this important Torah principle at the table, whoever you are, wherever you're holding in your journey to improve your family, to improve your community, to improve the world, to improve yourself. Talk about learning before acting. The discussion shouldn't be limited, I might just toss this out, uh, to the performance of our commandments, but maybe as it relates to everyday matters as well. Okay, let me just look at the clock here. (laughs) We're doing well. So anyway, in conclusion today, we are warned, indeed we're admonished, not to profane the holy name of God but to sanctify his name instead. And I must toss this out here. I, this is not a digression, but you know, it is so hard 
I don't know about you, you know, the algorithms come in, how to find happiness, how to find financial success, how to find love, how to cement that relationship, how to eat for long life. And on and on and on. It could make us feel so small, so imperfect, so hopeless. I'll never get together. I'll never master hip you know, complete happiness. I'll never overcome envy. I'll never be financially sound. I'll never, I'll never. We're in process. Every day we wake, we thank God for that breath we take. And we enter the classroom of God's holy life. There is no failure. The only failure is to give up as long as we're in process, we must not sit awash in the guilt of former misdeeds, of lax, L-A-C-K-S. Instead, grab today, grab the opportunity to make today just a tad holier, a tad cleaner, a tad more optimistic, then yesterday, as we paint on that holy canvas that we've been given, the moment we waken up, we waken, we waken up, the moment we open our eyes. You know, on page is the book, Love Your Neighbor, on page 317, a beautiful comment by the Rambam, quote, there are other things that are a profanation of God's name. When a pious Torah scholar does things which cause people to talk against him, even if the acts are not transgressions, he profanes God's name. If a Torah scholar will be careful about his behavior, he will speak pleasantly to people, act friendly to them, receive them with a pleasant facial expression, will refrain from retorting when he is insulted, will honor those who treat him with disdain, will be honest in his business dealings, will constantly devote himself to Torah study, will always go beyond the letter of the law, and will avoid extremes and exaggerations, then he will be praised and beloved, and others will desire to emulate him. This man has sanctified God. It was an honor to be with you this morning. I don't know about you, but I certainly have my work cut out for me. It's a beautiful day. We have a holy week ahead. And I wish everybody listening in, whether live on the podcast or whether live or via podcast, Shabbat Shalom Umivorach from Jerusalem.